Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we address the largest category of affliction in mental health. It's an enormous subject that affects everyone at one time or another and to one degree or another. It's the subject of depression. We will see that depression is something that can no longer be ignored, but instead of being eliminated, it must be addressed, contained, and controlled by addressing the whole of the individual and reframing our world according to biblical categories. Thanks for joining with us as we pursue navigating our souls according to God's truth. Uh, when, uh, before Emily and I were married, we served uh, on the mission field on the island of Eleuthera as interns. Uh, we would come back during our summer break from college and we would serve those full three months uh, working at uh, what was a Bible training center, uh, assisting with the missionaries and helping in any way that we could, developing relationships uh, with the Bahamian nationals there on the island and finding that our hearts are being drawn further and further on into ministry. Uh, one of the things, however, when you go to another country is occasionally they will have a little baby bug or a virus that you are not particularly immune to. And uh, one of the things that I found every single summer I go down is I would develop a, a, a upper respiratory infection. And I think it was because we drank water out of a pit. <laughs> and so it wasn't uh, had the, no, the normal chemicalization of the water I was used to. Whatever the case was, um, I can remember progressively feeling worse and feeling worse <laughs> and feeling worse until one day uh, the, the wife, uh, the missionary family that we were with said, what is, the, what is wrong? And I said, I think I'm sick. And she said, you think you're sick? <laughs> Clearly you're sick. And she asked me if I uh, had, an, had any antibiotics. And I said, what are antibiotics? <laughs> uh, I didn't even know what they were. In my own ignorance, I not only did not have my own health diagnosed properly, but I didn't even know how to treat myself properly. Sounds like a teenage boy, doesn't it? That's anybody else with me there? Uh, so she uh, put me into the car, carried me to the clinic, and the doctor took one look and said, okay, yep, let's get a prescription for amoxicillin or whatever it happened to be. And do you know what? A couple days later, better. All better. All it took was facing whatever was wrong. I just had to address it so that it could be diagnosed properly and then prescribe the proper medicine and fixed it. That's all it took. We, uh, we often think of our lives here one-dimensionally, uh, that we pay close attention to that which we see. I, uh, I want to draw the church's attention to the unseen realm in our lives. You not only have a body, you have a soul. And a spirit, if you know Jesus Christ, you are born again with a living spirit where the spirit of God indwells you for his glory and for your good. And so I, I want to make sure that as we move forward in this series called Navigating the Soul, that we understand the biblical category for the unseen component of our lives. We're all on the same page with our bodies, right? If your body feels <coughs> sick, you go to the doctor. I was told this morning there were even some folks this week who weren't feeling too good. A friend came up this morning and said they decided to watch on Zoom today. Good on you. That's the common sense we need to help keep everybody physically healthy. Well, what about your soul? What about that part in your life that so often goes undiagnosed? 
I think that if you went to the doctor and you weren't feeling well, sometimes they give you a chart with a smiley face and they say, so how are you feeling? Which of those two do you feel like? And physically you can give them or a number one through five. You know, I'm talking about number one through ten of how you're feeling. Um, When I I, I put this little chart up here for how your soul feels, um, when you feel like you might have uh, some depression, uh, that can feel like having the sniffles. But it's not physical sniffles. It's sniffles in your soul. And then sometimes you might feel even worse that you're having a fever. And there's, there's another emoji that goes even beyond that one. Um, do you know what the problem is? Too often we go undiagnosed. Too often we will go through life with this heaviness without the joy of the Lord. And it will be like a, a, a question in our lives that what went wrong? It is critical for us as believers and as a church family that we are able to give attention to that function of God's design in our lives to be both physically in step with him, to have physical health and to make sure that our souls are flourishing. Now, when I made this, Emily asked me, why don't you have more on the smiley side? Like, don't you need to have like a a super happy face? And I said, no, because that's you only need to be there. Right. That's where we want to find ourselves. But I'd be willing to bet that there's some variety even here this morning for where you land on this side of undiagnosed illness of our souls. The subject for this morning is a big one. As we are addressing mental health, uh, I guess I decided to just bite off more than I could chew today because we're going to talk about the subject of depression. Depression is a vast issue Uh, everyone has a a measure of it in their lives from moment to moment. Um, One of the things I'd like to do as we move through this series is is give some review to where we've been over the past couple of weeks. We haven't been very far because we just started it last week. Um, But I want to remind you of the difference between acute mental illness, that which is manifest right now and affects my behavior presently, and accumulated mental illness, the kind that just piles up and eventually can be more than I can handle. And the, the reality that everybody faces this, it's a, it's a question of have you put who at the center? Do you remember the illustration from Sunday? Who do you need to put at the center? Oh, now, it's, just, it's not just Jesus. There was a, there was a title at the beginning of it. King, King. King Jesus. Uh, even in my own life, as I struggle through moments of depression, I can't tell you how freeing it is for me to remember the title King Jesus. That he is ruling and he is in charge and he is able and he is good. So as we have opportunity to move further into this series, now, now trying to bite off the biggie, depression will be the subject for this morning. And we're going to look at it through some principles found in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 42, specifically this morning. Um, before we read through that passage, I would like to, uh, again, further develop some foundations so we have some context by which to move through this. Uh, the first one I've already mentioned, but I just want to repeat it again, that the human creature can be divided into three components. Body, soul, and spirit. The spirit that you have is not the same as your soul, even though both of them are immaterial. Both of them are non-physical components of your nature. 
Um, uh, the Bible outlines a picture of this uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. We don't have to turn there now, but if you were taking notes and you wanted to look at this further, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that God's word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It can divide even bone from marrow. Wait a minute. Aren't, aren't those in the same position, right? The marrow and the bone, don't those go together? And then he says, even soul and spirit. And we would say, in conformity to the illustration, don't those go together? And they do. They're both part of what a human is immaterially. But your spirit is the part of you that communes with God. That's what your spirit does. It, it's, the, it's the part of, um, if, if you remember Tom's illustration with the batteries, uh, it would be the extension cord that plugs into God. That is what your spirit does. Your soul we covered last week. Your soul makes up all of the immaterial components of your identity, who you are. Your mind, which we're going to talk about next week. Your will, your emotions, your personality, right? That, that unseen dynamic that makes you, you. That is your soul. Which is why as we want to move forward on a subject of mental health, I'm not calling it mental health. We're calling it your soul because that's what it is. It's the full catalog of all of the immaterial components that make a human a being, a human being. You need a physical body. That's one part. You need the software that runs the hardware. That's the soul. And then you need the spirit of God to come and fix it all and make it work the way that God has designed it to work. So that, that's some, uh, some substantive foundational understanding that we're going to build on as we move forward in this. The second foundational material that I want to deal with specifically in regards to depression this morning is that depression is a particular disorder that's called a mood disorder, of which there are a few. Uh, you may be heard of a bipolar, if, if you've heard of that before. That's also a mood disorder. Uh, mania, uh, this is somebody who highs are too high. Well, the opposite of that is depression, and that's where your lows are too low. And it falls in two categories. The first is what is called organic, um, organic nature of depression. I also want to just uh, highlight for the church here that uh, many of the details that I am offering to you this morning come out of this uh, Edward Welch's book. Uh, so just as a footnote to some of the details, this is where that data is, is coming from. An organic nature of depression is a product of bodily disease. So um, this would be a nervous system disease, right? You, you may find yourself led into depression if you have had a kind of accident or if there's a problem neurologically with you. Um, it, it's also related to hormonal imbalances. Uh, this would be related to thyroid diseases or any endocrine, endocrine system uh, cycles or disorders, can lead you into a place of depression. It can come from inflammation and infection in the body, uh, vitamin deficiencies, uh, which interesting, interestingly enough is related to um, seasonal affective disorder. Do you guys know about that? Do, do you know about that? Are you kidding me? It's February and do you pee? We all have that. Um, the acronym is easy to remember too because it's called SAD. Uh, but what, what's the vitamin that you're losing when you're not in the sunshine? Vitamin D. Vitamin D. That's right. So your, your body and your mind are related through this. Your soul and your body are, are connected. Uh, last one that the uh, information laid out was kidney diseases that lead to electrolyte deficiencies, which go back again to the neural component of our minds. So those are all organic examples 
that are happening within the body that preclude you to the onset of depression. There's a second category, however, and it's called functional. And this is not a disease of the body, but it's a disease of the heart that can lead you to depression. Examples of this are your little sister, your boss, your job. I'm just joking. Right? You, you, you know how there's some people that really just irritate you, can, can, can ruin your day? That's just for Carrie. I don't know if she'll catch that ever. Realistically, though, these are social and societal influences and expectations that come from peer pressure and a feeling of inability and lack of ability. You're not good enough. You haven't measured up. That's a, that can lead you to a functional problem in your soul, in your heart, that moves you to depression. It can come from a misplaced self-worth through work and performance. Many people sometimes feel that they're not good enough. It can come from spiritual influences, specifically from sin and the sinful effects of a loss of fellowship between God and friends and family. This is a big one in my life. Uh, the, the, the greatest rocks that grind my gears are interpersonal conflict. Like I, I'm, I'm a pretty well-oiled machine to function throughout the week as I need to, unless I've just got a relationship that's broken and I can't fix uh, that, will, that will grind my productivity right down to a halt and lead me to a place of despair and depression. Other influences can include drug abuse, malnutrition, and allergies. Uh, you'll see how these also get related to the physical as well. Everything from sleep cycles to circadian rhythms, including seasonal effectiveness disorder, insomnia, hypersomnia. Do you guys know what those are? Insomnia is what when you can't sleep, and hypersomnia is when you can't can't get up i just have you ever had that where it's just like i can't get out of bed today like i'm just I, it's just not worth it it's also from the category that we learned last week functional depression can come from an accumulation of more than you can handle i, ju- I just have i just have more than i can handle um, as our modern world has addressed the disease of the heart and the soul They've come up with some treatments, and, and, and primary treatments include antipsychotic drugs like Thorazine. It's a type of, it's a type of tranquilizer. Uh, MAO inhibitors, lithium, all with potential side effects such as sedation, dry mouth, vision impairment, constipation, excessive sweating, heart palpitation, urine retention, mental confusion, and heart failure. Please see your doctor. <laughs> Sounds like a commercial, right? The most controversial treatment of all has been electroconvulsive shock treatment, or ECT. These are electrically induced seizures uh, with uh, transmitters connected to to the mind, to the head, to the brain. Although treatments have improved in recent years because of anesthesia and muscle reluctance, ETC has often left patients with torn muscles and tendons, broken jaws and teeth due to the stress and the intense muscle contraction. So, depression. Sounds like something we can solve in the next 30 minutes, right? You see, do you see how big of a bite this is for us this morning? Uh, what, what were, this is my goal. Not simply to scratch the surface, but to offer to us all steps that are biblically grounded that address both the organic and the functional nature of depression in our lives. That's, that's my goal for us this morning. And so in order for us to find out what is true... We have to turn to truth. 
So I'd like to have you now turn to your Bibles, uh, if, if you could, Psalm 42. Uh, we will read through it and then work through some very quick observations and applications to build upon in our lives in regards to depression. Psalm 42. Uh, for the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. There, there is uh, interpretively some question as to whether this was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, sons of Korah were appointed by David to be musicians in the temple and in the court of God. Um, so this might have been written by them or this might have been written by David for them to play. There's some confusion over that. But I will be referring to this as if it were written by the sons of Korah. Verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festival, festival throng. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan, the heights of Mount Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now we're going we're gonna to pause there. Traditionally, uh, commentators have understood Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 to be the same psalm. Uh, so if you wanted to, you could read through more on your own time into Psalm 43. You're going to see a lot of the, similar, uh, cor- the similar chorus that's mentioned there, as well as information. Um, but for our time this morning, we're going to just focus on Psalm 42. Uh, just before I get into the primary observations from this passage, uh, I want to highlight two other issues that show up in the text that we're not going to deal with in particular. Uh, the first is potential eating disorders that accompany depression. I, I just want to highlight for you verse 3. Uh, what has the psalmist been eating? Yeah, he, he's, he's really not eating. And so th- this is sometimes something that uh, accompanies people who are struggling with depression, or p- potential eating disorders. You also have o- almost a classical ex- example of bipolar disorder here, uh, because in verse 4, you'll see how his memory has him on such highs 
Right, The language of verse 4 of how he used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving and the festal, festal throng. There, there's just this attitude of just high, high, high heights accompanied by low, low, low depression. And so that, that may be a particular nuance to what the psalmist is struggling with here. As we start in our observations, the first thing I want you to see is that nearly all acute and accumulated Examples of depression. So remember, acute, meaning it's, it's bothering me right now, and accumulated, meaning like this is adding up, uh, whether they're sourced organically or functionally, they're the product of answering three questions very poorly. So let's see if the text can identify what these questions are. The first is this. What is your greatest desire? I want to submit to the church this morning that a misplacement of the greatest priority in your life will set you up for moments of depression. What does the psalmist indicate for us is his greatest desire in verse 1? Do you see what it is? As the deer pants for water, so I pant for what? Yeah, it's not the NFL. Right? Do you see what it is? It's God. The greatest desire for the psalmist is God. I think it's too frequent in our lives that we do not place God as our highest priority. And so I submit to you, at any time you reallocate God as a second, third, or fourth uh, priority in your life, you have now set yourself up for a kind, of, uh, a kind of depression that can sink in and that can be the kind that's hard to deal with. Second is this question, uh, what or who are you listening to? Uh, we know the psalmist didn't make the mistake on the first one. He prioritized God. He has that answer correct. He has the second answer wrong. I would submit to the church, many of us also struggle with this. Uh, What was the question that he was struggling with in verse 3 and then repeated again at the end in verse 10? Who's he listening to here? People are saying what? Where's your God? do, Do they say to him just once? All day long. Do you, know, do you know what's hard to ignore all day long? When you're hearing it all the time, constantly. I know for the first couple of times, I can like maybe push it aside. That's not true. That's not true. But you hear it over and over and over and over. Suddenly it becomes more than you can handle because you are saturating your life with bad information. Now, it's a good thing in our world. We don't have little boxes that talk to us over and over and over and over. Do you see the problem? Uh, There's a really quick uh, application to fix this one. Uh, Sell your TV. Uh, That'll that'll fix 80% of the problems right there. Um, I'd love to preach about that a little bit more, but just to move on, I want us to make sure we understand this is a critical question. Who are you listening to? What is it that you are allowing to saturate your mind? Because if it is not truth that comes from God, you again are going to set yourself up be in a position of endangering your, your, your mental health with depression. Thirdly and lastly is this, what are you dwelling on? Uh, we find this listed out uh, in his answer to verse 3 in verse 4. I want to give the credit psalmist again. He gets this one right. For the psalmist, what he dwells on as he hears uh, from people, where is your God? He starts remembering how good it was to go to church. Now, it was synagogue at that time, right? It was the temple at that time. It wasn't church, but it's the parallel for us. He remembers how wonderful that was to sing, to be with God's people in community, 
to feel loved and to be able to express the gifting of of his life with the rest of the community. So you'll see he was a leader. Did you see that in verse 4? This was so critical in his life. He put it right there in the text. I used to lead the procession. I was like the lead singer. And we would, we'd all be walking from all around. And this is the way it worked in the time of the Jews, uh, pre-Jesus time, this time of David, that they would make their pilgrimage from all of their homes back to Jerusalem, which was on a mountain. And so as they hiked up the mountain, do you know what they would do? They would sing. And he remembers it. Now, I, I can remember being a, a child around uh, American holidays, not the Jewish holidays that, that our writer here is referring to, but I remember that what that was like when we gathered with all of uh, my uncles uh, downstate. I mean, it was like a party. We'd get out the football. We'd be wrestling around. There was, I was going to say beer, but there's beer. There was, <laughs> there was food. There was laughing. Does anyone else have a memory of that? Does anyone else have those moments, right? That, that's what his mind goes back to. And I want to submit to you that one of the easiest ways that depression can make its way into your life is when you start dwelling and focusing on the problems and not those memories of sweet fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. If you misplace what you dwell upon, hear me loud and clear, it will affect your path in direction. You will be moving in the wrong direction. So often it's tempting for us to identify the problem and think that's what I need to focus on when really the answer is quit focusing on the problem and as you move towards the right answer, you'll solve the problem in, in, the, same, in the same step. So right here in the text, what I would like to submit to the church is that as we address the issue of acute and accumulated depression, whether it be organic or functional, it's all a matter of how do you answer these questions? In your life, what is the greatest desire I have? Who am I listening to? And then what do I spend my time dwelling on? Even if you were to imagine with me dwelling as a measure of time, what occupies the majority of your time? What do your eyeballs watch for the majority? What are your ears listening to for the majority? And I think all of us would recognize, yeah, no wonder depression is endemic in our world. No wonder so many young people are finding themselves with behaviors that are destructive, crying out for attention because they have not had good modeling for how to answer these three questions. Um, I wrote this down in the conclusions. Uh, First of all, um, to have moments of emotional depression is completely normal. I want to make sure as we address this that you see this is not something that is out of place in the scriptures. This is all over the place. All over the Psalms. To find this moment of feeling low, sometimes it's actually uh, not only normal, sometimes it's God-induced. I wrote here, sometimes it's designed by God for our spiritual growth, humility, dependence, and holiness. Sometimes the Lord will even orchestrate moments in your life that will lead you to a place of thinking less about who you are. We could find many New Testament examples of this as well. I I don't want anyone here to leave thinking the answer is happy, joyful, all that time. That's not it. That's not the answer. Depression is very real. But what we want to be able to discern is from God's word, how do we address it? How do we contain it? And how do we control it? And so depression, that's the result of issues of the heart. 
It can be handled with correct biblical counseling. I want to make sure that those adjectives are necessary. Not just counseling, biblical counseling. Not just biblical counseling, but correct biblical counseling. When it comes to functional issues of depression, remember this is those, man, there's more than I can handle. It's a problem with my heart. Correct biblical counseling can address that. Well, what about the body? Like, what, what if I have postpartum depression? Like, that's not because I'm angry with my boss. That's because of the physiology of my body. Well, I want you to know that organic issues, so issues of the body, can also be addressed by correct biblical counseling so that you're able to help the afflicted person find hope in the middle of their distress and in their pain. You will struggle with this. This is what it means to live in a broken world. Not only are our bodies undergoing corruption, our souls undergo corruption as well. And so a couple of concluding points that I want to uh, offer for us. Number one, you'll never eradicate depression. You'll never get to the place where you're just all together done with it. Um, I listed out here, um, this was from uh, another book called Grace for the Afflicted. Um, If you look through the Psalms in the Old Testament, these are all the different themes you find. Depressed mood, weight loss, loss of appetite, insomnia, psychomotor retardation, uh, fatigue, loss of uh, energy, a feeling of worthlessness, a diminished ability to concentrate, and reoccurring thoughts of death. Are they in the Bible? They're all over the Bible. So make sure that as we are moving towards this, it's not a question of eradicating it. It's not a question of your spiritual maturity is that you're never, ever depressed, ever, never, ever again. That's not the answer. Um, Here's the answer. We must learn to address it, contain it, and control it. This is the Christian response to dealing with the brokenness of the soul when it comes to depression. And I think one of the major problems is too many people don't even want to address it. That's somebody else's problem. I ain't my problem. So many times that's it, that we we leave it unaddressed in our lives. The psalmist clearly doesn't do that. We're going to look at that here in a moment. Uh, One last uh, point of conclusion. Uh, You must be discerning, therefore, with what you're addressing in your soul in terms of its greatest desire, what it listens to, and what it dwells on. And we already saw that originally from those three questions, right? So be more discerning for who you're listening to. You, you really, really, really should turn off the news. Uh, it, it, it is many times a box of gossip for issues that you cannot control. You have no effectiveness to handle some of the majority of things that the news wants to push and sell you because it's, ooh, tasty little morsels about moral failings all over the world. Yeah, we get it. It is not healthy. And what does your soul long for? Boy, it's so easy to get caught up vacations or promotions or whatever the next thing rung on the ladder might be that we forget to put God as number one. And then what do we dwell upon? Here's where I want to spend the majority of our time as we wrap this up this morning. What can we do about this? Number one, I want to challenge you to change your focus. Change that which you are focusing on. This is exactly what the psalmist does. If you look with me, verse seven, uh, six and seven, He says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Do you see it? He changes his focus. By the way, he's not in Jerusalem. He's in Mount Hermon. Do you know where that is? That's way north. That's that's like the headwaters of the Jordan. Very far away from Jerusalem. 
And while he's way out there, he's going to say, I remember what it was like to go to church. I remember what that was like in Jerusalem. I'm not there right now. And so he looks to the waters. He, he looks to the waterfall that's coming off the mountain. And in verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep. Have you ever just taken a walk out in nature? You ever have to do that? I, I, want you to, I want to tell you that's one of the very best things that you can do when you're feeling depressed. Is to get out there, stop focusing on the thing that's driving you crazy, and look at the magnitude of God's creative ability. Wow. Catch a sunset. I heard the birds. I haven't heard birds in months. I heard birds this morning walking into church. Boy, that was awesome. Um, Turn the TV off. Turn the news feed off. Delete your Facebook. Get rid of Twitter. Stop watching Fox News. Stop watching CNN. That's changing your focus. In fact, this is what the Bible says when it talks about our our race that we're to run. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Change your focus. Don't look at those problems. Look at Jesus. I think one of the greatest things that we can do is develop a hunger and a thirst for God because we change our focus. Do you notice that's exactly what he, he, he starts in verse 1? As the deer, we, you guys know the song, right? As the deer pants for the water. Question, what is the deer's focus? Water. <laughs> it's not hard. The deer wants water more than anything. That's what he's focused on. This is exactly what the psalmist says you need to be focused on as well. I did, however, when I was making my notes for this, I wrote this question down. So how do I develop a greater thirst for God? I, I'm assuming that most of us listening to God's word this morning are tracking with me. You're like, yeah, that's it. We got to do that. How do I do that? Anybody here this morning? <laughs> like, I know I need a greater thirst for God. How do I get a greater thirst for God? I just want to give you maybe two illustrations that might help with that. How does a runner get thirsty? By running. How does a worker develop an appetite? By working. How does a Christian develop a hunger for God? By being a Christian. I think that's the answer. If you're wondering, so how, I know I need more God in my life. How do I get a greater thirst and hunger for God? The answer is you need to get busy following God. Put yourself in a position of being dependent on him. It is, I guarantee you, coming to church and sitting in a pew, and that's it, that will leave you with a very shallow hunger and thirst for God. If you are never put in a position of needing to step out of your comfort zone and be in dependence on God, I'm telling you, you'll be thirsty then. You'll be be like, Lord, I don't know what to do now. I'm trying to minister as a counselor here at Grace, and I'm way out of my depth. (laughs) Ah, do you know what you have now? You have a thirst. You have a hunger. So it starts with changing your focus. Number two is this. You need to saturate your mind with truth. Uh, If you look with me in verse 8. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. How much of the day is made up between the day and the night? Do you leave anything out here? It's either day or it's night. And the psalmist here says, God is in it all. By day, he directs his love. At night, his song is with me. 
This is where I want to encourage you. Uh, Your walk with the Lord, if you want to keep depression far away, means that you need to saturate your mind with truth. A couple of examples on how to do that. Number one, surround yourself with the family of God. If you are in a particular career that has many worldly values and individuals, that will degrade your ability to live and operate with joy. And so you need to make a concerted effort to try to serve. I need to plug back into the people of God to be connected with the community of faith. Uh, You'll see this if you look back in verse four, right? Isn't this exactly what he's dwelling on? I remember how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to God's house with such of joy and thanksgiving among the festal throng. That's all the people. I need to be with them again, he says. In addition to that, if you look again in verse 6, where is he? He's, in, he's at the headwaters of the Jordan. He's on the heights of Mount Hermon from Mount Mazar. Have you ever felt far from God? It wasn't God who moved. So what do you do? Even if I'm far from God, I've got to remember to saturate my mind with what's true. Because it's easy when I'm in Jerusalem. It's easy when I'm right there. But man, when I travel... I still am going to do what? He says in verse 6, I'm going to remember. Uh, these words from the New Testament, Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? The Lord is he's not far away. He's not far away. Sometimes it feels like he is, but he's not far away. Or this passage from Acts, Paul says uh, to the Areopagus, he says, God did this so they would seek him, perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. I know sometimes it feels like God's far. He's not far. He's not far from you. You need to saturate your mind on what is true. Number three, bring your sorrow and pain to God. If you look with me in verse eight, the end of it says, here's my prayer. Do you guys see that? Look, take a look in your Bibles, verse eight. So here's my prayer. And then take a look at verses nine and 10. Look at this flowery prayer. Look at the beautiful churchy prayer. Nope. What question does he keep asking? Why? Has that ever been you? Why? I've preached on this a couple times. You won't get an answer to the why. Very rarely will you get an answer to the question why. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want to hear it. God wants you to pour out your heart to him. And so we understand that therapy healing is found, first of all, by connecting ourselves with God to pray to him and say, this is, this is what I'm facing. Let me look at it. Why must I go about mourning? Why have you forgotten me? My bones are suffering agony. My foes taught me. They're saying all day long. He's taking his concerns. He's crying out to God. I do, however, want you to see how he addresses him in verse 9. Don't, don't miss this. I will say to God... My rock. Do you believe that? Right? Because that comes from truth. God is still a rock. Even if it feels like your world is shifting like an earthquake. God is a rock. The Hebrew here, the word means a high rocky place. It's this idea that as the waves hit, I'm up here on the rock. I'm safe on the cliff because God is solid and the waves cannot hit me. That's the idea behind the text here. So it's a high ridge of safety. Um, did you catch our passage this morning, First Peter? Isn't this a beautiful one? Donna, thank you for reading it this morning. Cast all your cares, 
Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Oh, because God cares for you. He loves you. Um, every now and then in my family, one, one of the family members will, will come in with a face like this. And so what question do you think I'll ask them? What's the matter? Now, what response do I normally get? No. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, me, believe, oh, okay, nothing's wrong then, I guess. Apparently. Clearly something's wrong. Clearly something's wrong. Why do I keep asking and keep asking and keep asking? Why do I do that? Because I care for them. And do you know how I feel when they don't tell me? Has this ever happened to you? Fine. I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. Yeah. Come on. I care for you. I want you to know God cares for you. You're doing yourself no favors by being like, I don't want to bother God with this. And God's like, thank goodness you didn't bother me with that today because I had so much on my plate. God wants to hear from you. He's longing to hear from you. And so the very best therapy that you can get is by taking your cares to him, bring your sorrow and pain to God. God doesn't need you all polished up, all hair all nice. Go to him like a mess. God, I'm a mess. This is what I got for you today. That's exactly what we have in the text. He says, God, you're my rock. Here's the crud I'm going through. And that's the same application that we need to learn to embrace. Lastly is this. You you need to make God the direction and the hope the direction of your hope and desire. Again, the idea that he longs for God like a deer pants for water. However, I want to emphasize two verbs as we wrap this up. This is my last one, then we're done. Look with me again in verses five and six. Five is the chorus. It's again repeated again in verse 11. I want you to pay attention to his recognition and the direction of the verb. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. What tense is that? Past, present, or future? I will. Past, present, or future? That's future. Look with me in verse 6. He says, my God, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember. Past, present, or future? Future. Like This is a present into the future verb that says that's the direction I need to move. Do you know one of the greatest... Uh, winds of the devil, the victory of the devil with soul corruption and depression is to get you to stop wanting to move forward. Do you know God has so much for you in the future? He has so much for you. If he can just, if he can just get you to dwell on this right now, the devil wins. God says, put your hope in me. I have a future plan for you. We're going to work through this. This is not the end. You're going to get past this. This, this too is going to pass someday. I just want to share with you as uh, I wrap this up. Everybody with me on those verbs? Do, do, do you see it? This is, my, this is my putting my greatest desire and my hope in God for a future. Because as I, if I'm in depression, if I can start charting a course actively, I'm telling you that really helps. Depre- depression can't go with you. It's got to stay back in the past. So it's one of the most healthiest things that you can do is look to the future for what God's going to do in your life. This is my story to wrap things up. Uh, when I was a missionary, we went through some very dark dark days. There was, in fact, one full year that was so difficult for Emily and I. And it got to one moment where I had a guest teacher that was teaching the students, and, um, and, and he was teaching on the Psalms on a particular faithfulness of God that, that just touched my heart because I was not experiencing the faithfulness of God. I felt abandoned by God. I felt like I had no future. And so I walked out. It was like 8 o'clock at night, completely dark, 
and the stars were coming out and the, the waves were, were uh, lapping at the shore and I just cried out to God. And I kind of shook my fist and I said, what, what gives with this? I, I gave my life to you and here, here I'm completely stuck. I need you to show up and help. Uh, Emily and I, were, we were at a very dark place and we were stuck. Depression was every direction I looked. And then I got a call from my pastor back in Texas. And he knew what was going on a little bit. He said, hey, Ryan, you, you, you feel like you're a little stuck there. I want you to know we'll hire you if you come back. We'll hire you. It's okay. And I'll tell you that, that one little word that said, there's a future here. There's a future for you. That actually gave me enough to, to say, all right, all right, I can breathe again. I think I can make it only because I know that there's someone who cares and that there's a path to go to the future. Because what I need to do was reframe and get my desire and my hope completely on God and off my, my own circumstances. The illustration I think of with depression is it's like a car that's idling in a garage. It's one way some people commit suicide. You're stuck. The door's shut. It's dark. I don't know where to go. Do you know what the very best thing to do is? Open the door. Open the garage door. And look. Look at all that you can do. This is my encouragement to you this morning, church. As we look into God's word, I want you to see the psalmist himself recognizes his need for God and says in verse 11, recognizing, addressing depression, I am, I am downcast, but I will put my hope in God for I will yet praise him. Amen. Will you pray with me this morning?